Hi, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you're listening to our podcast, The Nature of Nantucket. Today, we are here with Ginger Andrews, the very famous Ginger Andrews of Nantucket, who is our field ornithologist, and we are going to talk a little bit about birding. Welcome, Ginger. Oh, thank you, Joanna. All right. So, so Ginger, let's just start with the Christmas bird count because I know that that is coming up. Uh, can you give a little bit of an overview um, as to what that is, when it is, and and um, a little bit about your experience? Well, sure. So the Christmas bird count is considered the uh, longest running, quote unquote, citizen science project in the world so far. It was started by Frank Chapman in uh, the New York area in uh, 1900, I believe. And uh, what, it, what it was was initially it was a, a, a way of trying to get uh, people uh, distracted from something that was called a side hunt, which took place the day after Christmas, in which all the sportsmen would uh, gather up all their gear and go out and basically try to shoot everything that moved and whoever killed the most things won. I'm not sure what they won, but it was bragging rights. So this was obviously, you know, played havoc with uh, the, the winter birding uh, life. So, uh, so he managed to convince people to pick a 15-mile circle and in, in that limited area uh, count all the birds that they saw. So it's obviously spread a lot since then. Uh, the Nantucket Christmas bird count started in 1953 or 1954, I guess. It was right around New Year's, as, as ours often is. So it um, that um, uh, has been going for a while. Initially, when we started, I say we, I'm not sure I was on the planet yet at that point, but um, my, it was my mother, my father, and uh, John Dennis, who was uh, an ornithologist who was living on the island at the time. And uh, so the three of them covered the island and counted everything they saw. I don't remember the exact statistics, but they're, they're something that could be looked up if somebody is really, really interested. And uh, it's grown over the years to the point where uh, at some point uh, pre-COVID, we had as many as 60 people, uh, uh, island birders, and quite a lot of people from off-island because Nantucket is such a great birding spot in the winter. So I'm not sure how many are uh, going to do it this year yet. We um, divide the island into eight sections, and uh, everybody's responsible for... Uh, Visiting all the good hotspots in their particular section, counting all the birds that they see. We, we count numbers of birds as well as species. And, um, and if there's something really hot, like uh, something that everyone would want to see, we let everybody know and everybody abandons their section and rushes off to Scotland to see a magnificent frigate bird uh, perched on a utility wire. So it doesn't take very long, and we, you know, we we get together at the end. Uh, there's a compilation uh, at seven o'clock um, on the day of the count, which this year is uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 
And uh, so it's a great way to wrap up the, the year if there's things missing on your on your list. Maybe you have a last chance to see that palm warbler or uh, or whatever it was. Some people uh, will spend the day out in the field beating around, uh, beating the bushes, and uh, but some people just want to watch their feeders and report what the, what's at the feeder. It's a little less uh, onerous, and uh, we keep track of our hours and. Um, and the distance uh, that we've traveled or, you know, walking or driving. And the reason we do that is so that the data and effort uh, are comparable. I mean, obviously, if you're in an area for, you know, an hour, you um, probably see a lot more than if you're there for 30 seconds or five minutes. So uh, it gives a, a way to compare one year to another. When the Christmas bird count data started being uh, important uh, into science, uh, people were saying, oh, well, there's so many more birds now. And it's not, well, it's not that there are more birds. It was simply that more people were counting them, therefore more were seen. So yeah, that's a way of making the data um, relevant, comparing the, the effort to the numbers. So we've seen the numbers go up and down over the years. So, Ginger, what? how long have you been doing the bird count? Uh, let's see. Um, I didn't really start to do it until probably about 2005 or six. Um, you know, it was kind of my mother's thing. She was the real ornithologist, you know, the Cornell trained, the... Uh, the um, uh, much revered uh, island bird lady. So yes. uh, not that long, really. <laughs> and if there was one bird that you are dying to see on the Christmas bird count, what is it? Well, I, I don't order off the menu, really. Uh, you can't <laughs> because you never you just never know what's going to turn up. And I've seen so many great birds this fall already that uh, that don't show up here very often. And uh it makes me feel that, you know, I don't really need to travel to Texas. Uh, occasionally, the Texas bird I might want to see is probably going to land here sooner or later if I'm patient. Well, that's a good segue into me asking you about the Western migrants. Yes, it is. So this <laughs> fall, we had a first county record, uh, and that was an eared grebe. Now, these are very common out in the West. And um, uh, they're um, uh, the ones that are, well, we have several grebes here, but the eared grebe is, has a really interesting uh, life history. And it's, um, uh, it, it, they, they breed in various parts of the West, but then they kind of, on migration, they'll gather around the, the Great Salt Lake and other uh, uh, water bodies out West. And at this point, they're they're eating the uh, the brine shrimp, so they have this amazing salt tolerance, and they'll just gorge on these things, uh, to the point where they're they're adding fat to the point that they lose muscle mass, so they can't migrate. So they have a relatively long flightless period when they're just stoking up to move, and uh, they they say this it's almost a third of their life cycle is spent flightless, which is probably longer than anything else that I mean there's like Canada geese for example have a have a flightless period when they're molting but um, but the ear grebe goes it takes it really to extremes 
And uh, this was a first county record this, uh, this fall. It was found by uh, Jackie Papali out in Hummock Pond. And it's still around. Uh, it was seen this week. So uh, the, in terms of migration, it, it, it came really a long way from, you know, the Great Salt Lake so, or wherever it, it was. There's, there's a few that are Easter, you know, a little more Eastern than that. But um, it's, uh, um, uh, it, it's clearly uh, uh, unusual for Nantucket. Uh, there have been a few records. I think maybe 25 in Rhode Island and and a few more along the coast. But uh, this is the first year that uh, one has gone as far as Nantucket. Wow. We also had a scissor-tailed flycatcher earlier. They're a very pretty bird. Uh, extremely long tails. This one had a sort of half-length tail. I think that... Uh, the um, the consensus was that it was a young adult male, beautiful rosy underwings, uh, white body, gray head, uh, almost almost looked like a, a northern mockingbird to the uh, to the birder who found it. But it was around for four or five days, uh, hanging out in Madikett, staying almost within the same you know general area within uh, oh I don't know a hundred yards. And uh, so several people also got to see it. And then when we had that one day when it started to snow a little bit, um, bleed or frozen rain, and um, uh, it didn't, we didn't see it after that. So most likely it took the hint and went, you know, back to uh, either, either back west or a little further south. Uh, another, uh, yes, sorry. Ginger, are these... Are these birds that you've seen before, or are these birds that are first time for you? Oh, okay. The eared grebe was a first time for me. That uh, that's the only life bird I've had so far this year. Uh, the scissor-tailed flycatcher I've seen. The western kingbird, which was also seen and may still be hanging around, uh, is almost an annual occurrence. But uh, but the eared grebe the eared grebe was my life bird. Yeah. Um, and I like that term, life bird. Does that mean it's the first time you've seen it in your life? That's it. Wow, that's great. That's great. Okay. All right. So other Western migrants that you want to mention? Well, the, West, the, uh, the, the Western kingbird is one that we see fairly often now, uh, usually in the fall. They're... Um, they're not uh, notable in the spring, uh, usually. Um, I think there might be one record. It's uh, similar to another, uh, something called the Couches Kingbird. So it, it takes a pretty good look in order to definitively say we've had a Western Kingbird in the spring. Uh, this, these are all records that are kept by the Mass Avian Records Committee. And they... Um, uh, uh, you know, you, photographs are almost um, uh, they're almost a requirement now. Some some birds in the old days, it was enough to me. If you made a field sketch, that would work. Uh, field sketching is a is actually a very good way to learn the birds because you can't draw something unless you've actually seen it, and then, so in order to draw it, you have to look, which is tricky if you're just starting out and you look at the bird and you don't really know what distinguishing feature you're supposed to look for. That's why I like the Peterson Guide for Beginners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it points uh, points out uh, the, the distinguishing characteristics with a little arrow, and it's uh, it's it's pretty basic. You don't always get those features, particularly if it's a young bird or a female, or there are different molts. Uh, some things don't uh, don't they don't look, they don't necessarily look exactly like the book, uh, depending on the stage of their lives that they're in. And um, and it takes a, a a fairly thick tome to cover everything. So um, the uh, the the Sibley guide is what birdbanders use, and those are about three inches thick east, uh, each. So you know, total about six to eight inches of of deta- really detailed information about weather of of the where the wear, the weathering of um, feathers, uh, you know, how they molt, and and so on. It's a uh, that's the thing about birding that's so fascinating is that the, there's always more to learn, and the more detail you uh, go into, um, the more you learn about them, the more there is to learn. Yes. All right. Also a good segue, winter bird watching. What What are we looking for, and what can we hope to see? Uh- <laughs> well, the winter ducks are the winter ducks are back definitely. Those are some of the favorite ones. The northern shovelers are really colorful. Uh wood ducks, the males are beautiful. We have all three types of uh scoters. Those are the sea ducks, uh surf scoters with the males have these sort of white and orange bills. They're sort of clownish looking. Those will be the ones closest to shore. The uh, and actually this is reminds me that uh, with the storm that we just had, uh, there's a potential that we had some dovekey wrecks. Uh, a dovekey is a small seabird that lives in the ocean. That's its natural habitat, further offshore than the razorbills, which we see close to shore. They're almost like a little tiny puffin, um, maybe about eight inches tall. And uh, if they get blown inland, they can't take off from land. So sometimes if you find this black and white thing, you know, shivering in a bush somewhere out in the middle of Sanford Farm or, you know, out in the golf course or somewhere, it really has it has to be picked up and returned to the salt water because it can't take off from land. Otherwise, it will um, will perish. And that's why they're called wrecks, because they're just basically blown ashore like a shipwreck um, or any other wreck. So that's a. That's an important thing to think of, be thinking about right now today after after yesterday's storm. Some of the other uh, birds that we have are oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say some some years ago the boys and I rescued one and we wrapped it up in a towel and we took it to offshore uh, animal hospital. But I didn't know that we should have taken it to the water directly. It was freezing. It was exactly as you described it. Well, you could have taken it to the water if if you weren't scared to, but it's it's better to take it to someone that knows about it because yeah. uh you know, sometimes uh, you know, they do bite. They're not pets. They could they could bite you and and you have to be a little careful handling these things, but I'm glad that you're adventurous enough to to pick one up with a towel. Yeah. Um I did that for a gannet once and my mother looked at me and she said, "Oh, grab its bill. It'll poke your eyes out." And I went, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so, <clears throat> so uh the 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 winter ducks, the long-tailed ducks are really beautiful ducks. They're uh not as numerous now 
uh, we had a, we had used to have well it was started back in the 80s and then again in the early 2000s uh, at one point there was so much food on the Nantucket Shoals they were feeding uh, they were feeding about 50 miles to the southwest of the island and they were roosting in Nantucket Sound so there was to be this daily flight along the north shore in the in the morning and along the south shore in the afternoon of probably more than half a million birds. It was just like a river of ducks. It was an incredible sight. And we're, we haven't been treated to that for quite a few years, but there's still a few of the individual birds around. Uh, razorbills are one of my favorites because of uh, having grown up with several of them in rehab. The um, uh, One of them, I still have a, a, a pile of uh uh, it was a very multi-volume encyclopedia that I used to really like. That's still marked with uh, with the whitewash from uh, several razorbills that thought it was a really good um, approximation of their rocky nesting area. So they used to perch up there. Uh, what else are we seeing in the winter? Oh, Eurasian wigeon. There's been a pair of Eurasian wigeon around. They're uh, like the American wigeon, only a male has a little redder head with a you know, beige forehead as opposed to the white stripe. They used to be called bald pates. There's American coots. Uh, uh, they're divers. They they have a. They look like they have a white nose. It's their bill. Uh, pied-billed grebes are cute. Uh, they're a small, tiny grebe. They do that sort of head movement of the. Uh, if you remember that hit from the 80s, walk like an Egyptian. That's sort of what they do. Only they're actually swimming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ginger, um, last question is, sure. do you think we'll see any snowy owls this year? Uh, uh, well, I couldn't say at this point. The uh, uh, last year was really a bust for snowy owls. And I looked up, the last time I looked at snowy owl sightings, uh, to see if where they were. And um, I can say that, uh, you know, at the beginning of November, real, a really good place to see snowy owls was the north slope of Alaska. Uh, so that's not terribly close to home. I think there was one a uh, few miles north of Toronto and uh, somewhere out in Wyoming, I think someone saw one. But, you know, they're just, they're so nomadic. We have no way of knowing until they show up. Right. So I always say it's, uh, it's, it's really, you know, you have to, you just have to go out and look. And that's, that's a present for you if you see something like that. It's not, they don't stick around. They, they might stick around, but there's nothing holding them here if there's no food. They're just, um, they're just a, uh, you know they're nomads so if you if you get to have that experience it is it's kind of magical it's true yes yes it's true i've been lucky enough to see a snowy owl with you ginger it was my that was really an amazing day because we also saw i'm gonna hope i get this right a trumpet swan trumpeter yes we did yes. that was uh that was a really exciting winter yes it was it was well, Ginger, thank you so much for being with us today. Always a pleasure to speak with you and, and get to soak up a little bit of your bird wisdom. And um, we will see you and catch up again soon in the new year. 
Very good. Thank you, Joanna. You're welcome. If you've been listening, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association. Our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket, and we've just been talking birds with Ginger Andrews. Thanks so much.